Hey, folks, we just want you to know that all the views and opinions expressed on Military Historians or People Too are ours and that of our guests. They do not represent any organizations, employers, and other entities with which we and our guests may be affiliated or associated. Okay? Got it? Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Military Historians or People 2. I'm Bill. That is Brian. Say hello, Brian. Hey, this is Brian. See how excited he is to be here this morning? It's early. It's spring break, but we're working hard to bring you good stuff, and we've got a great one for you today. Uh, we have Vanya Bellinger from the Naval War College, and Brian will introduce her in just a minute. So, shout outs. Brian, I got a couple real quick. One, as you know, I just had my first colonoscopy which that's how we should always open a podcast talking yeah. about colonoscopies. I waited way too long to have it, but everything's good because I know everyone's concerned. Just a shout out to the nurses and staff at Spartanburg Regional. It was amazing. I mean, they just worked like clockwork. I was really impressed with, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time in hospital, thankfully. You know, other people sadly do, but hadn't had that experience in a long time. And I was just amazed at just the, how smooth the process was. And they put you at ease. And uh, it really, really wasn't a big deal. And, and then, a, then a second shout out to, to our good friends at the Skillet here in Spartanburg, where I had my post-procedure first meal after having fasted and died almost for the previous 36 hours. <laughs> so, and they, they were super. They, they treated me to pancakes and bacon and eggs and everything uh, to, to celebrate my, my clean bill of health. So, so that's, that's, that's my shout out. You got anything? I don't have anything right now. No, I'm 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 scheduling my uh, colonoscopy, but uh, I, I can't you know comment on anything yet. So uh, I'll, I'll let you all know when I do. I'm 45, so I got to get it done. Yeah, well, you I know? waited till I was 56, so it was way too long. But people, get it all checked out. Whatever you need to be doing, do it. Don't wait too yep. long. Uh, let's introduce our guests because I'm excited right. about this, and we're gonna have fun today. Yeah, I am too. Uh, so today we are fortunate to be talking with Vanya Eftimova uh, Bellinger. Uh, who is an assistant professor of strategy and policy development at the U.S. Naval War College in one of my favorite cities, Newport, Rhode Island. She joined the Naval War College after serving as an assistant professor at Air University's Global College of PME. And before that, she was a visiting assistant professor at the U.S. Army War College. Vanya received her BA in public relations and communications at Sophia University St. Um, I'm going to let you say this for me, Vanya. Uh, Clement Ochritsky. There you go. Much better than I could have pulled it off. Um, in Sofia, Bulgaria, she got her MA in military history at Norwich University Northfield and then did the PhD in history at King's College London. In addition, she was a journalism fellow at the Free University of Berlin in Germany uh, in 2003-2004. Vanya is the author of Marie von Clausewitz, The Woman Behind the Making of On War. That one came out with Oxford University Press in 2015. Her article, The Other Clausewitz, Findings from the Newly Discovered Correspondence Between Marie and Karl von Clausewitz, came out in the Journal of Military History in April 2015, and that one was awarded the Society for Military History's Moncado Prize. She recently published Liba and Clausewitz, The Understanding of Modern War and the Theoretical Origins of General Orders Number 100 in the Journal of the Civil War Era. 
And she uh, put out when resources drive strategy, understanding Clausewitz slash Corbett's ward limited by contingent in military strategy magazine in spring 2020. Vanya sits on Military Strategy Magazine's editorial advisory panel and is a frequent contributor at War on the Rocks and the Strategy Bridge. Before entering academia, Vanya spent more than 20 years as an international correspondent in Bulgarian and German media, including stints with Economedia and Bulgarian national television. Welcome, Vanya. Glad to have you here and uh, and glad to finally meet you. Uh, thanks for having me. And I, I will give a quick shout out, Bill, not a shout out, but a uh, uh, an admission. Um, I can no longer see. So I have a, um, uh, a an eye appointment tomorrow. If you str- notice me struggling there to read, it's because uh, at 45, my sight is finally going. So uh, I'll, I'll keep you. I'll keep you posted. Reading, reading too much archival documents. Yeah. Is it right? Watch you do. <laughs> no, it's, it's binge watching too much television. Yeah, that's, I think oh, so. okay, that's okay, I really can understand is. that. That's that's what it really is. <laughs> All right, Vanya. So, um, let's start out like we always do. Tell us where you're from, what your parents did, how you got into military history. I know you're going to have a really uh kind of a story that we're not used to here, uh, because of the fact that you had a 20 year career in in journalism before you uh you you got into history. So, um, go for it. Oh, I'm I'm from Bulgaria. You can you can hear the heavy accent. That's a small Eastern European country. I grew up outside of Sofia, small town, <laughs> but Bulgarians always know it because it's right next to the town where the where the Bulgarian dictator, communist dictator, grew up. So I always get the question if I'm related somehow to Todor Zhivkov. To the uh, <laughs> I'm actually not. I'm related to just about everybody in that region because my mom is like one of the older family, oldest families there, but not Todor Zhivkov, which is good, which is a relief. But my parents are engineers, so I don't like technical intelligentsia, what we used to call during socialism technical intelligentsia yeah my dad was really big into readings and they had a lot of and they still have a lot of friends so kind of grew up with um lots of books but also lots of parties um you know like socialism people were restrained so much was like in their personal life so um and then i went to well, the former communist dictator, one of the good things that he did in the region, uh, he wanted to turn it into the uh, Silicon, Silicon Valley of the East. So there was actually like a lot of money for uh, research. There was the computer, the East Block, MacBooks or whatever, <laughs> yeah. Mac privates yeah. produced there. Are they, are they kind of like the cars from Eastern Germany? No, actually it was completely, no, no, no. It's actually, it was completely, <laughs> it was uh, no, it was the Mac. It was a copy of Mac, you know, oh. of Macintosh, you know, it was just looked as the same. Actually it was pretty good computer, but basically it was completely <laughs> stolen. Um, it was, I mean, uh, if you, we actually had even you know in my small school we had several computers of those and uh, then like moving to mac uh, you know years later it was so easy for me because i already had that idea you'd already been there that's great been there but one of the things was also language school so school where you go um at the age of 12 until you're 18, you study a language really in depth. Uh, you study literature and so on. That was like, I went to language school after the communism. I'm not that old. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so the, the school, the school is still there. So the, this is where the German language, you know, this is where people always kind of wonder, you know, are you from Bulgaria, but then German? What's the deal here? You know, like, and um, uh, that's that's the story with my with my German. So why why did you yeah. pick German? Uh, so my my parents, they're engineers. My mom actually during the socialism, she was like. Um, one of the top women in science and technology. So, I mean, after the socialism, also her career went pretty well. But uh, my parents had to do a lot with Germany, you know, like technology, you know, Ronald Reagan in the 80s, there was this ban to sell technology to, to the East Bloc. So they actually were traveling a lot to Switzerland and other countries and buying things. So um, they, they had this affinity for the German language, you know, the idea, the technical mind, you know, what everybody associates with, with German technology and so on. So I had the choice, but like, you know, how do your parents, like you have the choice, it's your choice, but you know, uh, this is like the benefits here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you the, have a you have a choice, but you should really uh try out German. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um and I mean I always joke that's been the best investment in uh what my parents did, you know, this this language school. Um, because you know, I would not have had this the career I have right now if I did not go through this school. But yeah. it was not easy school, you know. Um I sometimes I have tremendous resentments. <laughs> against some of my teachers some of them I loved but some like I I do still carry some of the scars of that time (laughs) so talk for a minute about growing up you know not um not under you know or not going to school during the Soviet uh period but you know just growing up in this this time when you're coming out of socialism um every you know so much change is is taking place and the reason I ask this is I've I've got some very close um East German friends and and they say you know it amazes us we understand that there are a lot of things wrong with with East mm-hmm. German society but they're like you know we had beautiful childhoods like we we absolutely you know loved growing up um in in that environment because we didn't under first of all we didn't know what we were missing um mm-hmm. but uh it, did you have a similar experience or did you you know kind of feel like you were repressed um so it's complicated question because my parents as much as you know were kind of this privileged class of technical intelligentsia. They had a, a also, uh, and my mom was in the Communist Party, but they were like very critical, particularly because they traveled abroad and they were very critical. And um, so, and also, you know, there was the 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 spying, you know, always yeah. like, you don't know who's spying on you or not. So my parents always like, you kind of live two lives because, they they wanted to expose me and my brother to all these ideas, you know, to meet all these interesting people. But and they did not want to shelter us from these things. I've never been sheltered like this movie is not for kids and so on. Now that these parents, I, I don't quite understand it because I have never been raised like this. I mean, I wish something something really were not age proper. Uh, but you know, I kind of trusting your kid that your kid will be judicious enough. But yeah, so they always like all these things that later came out. They were actually talked in our house, you know. But then it was always like you cannot say this thing in public, you know. Watch out what you're saying because you know, see that kid, their parent, it's not here, you know. Yeah. Or that happened to that kid. 
that kid's parent, you know, don't, don't do that. And sometimes, you know, like, as every kid thinks will slip out of my mouth, you know, and then you, I'll be like having these anxieties. Oh, now my parents want to go in jail and things like this. But on the other hand, yeah, you could, as a kid, just walk like, because <laughs> my parents were always working so I was the last kid to be picked up from kindergarten and the kindergarten actually was like two blocks from my house so at some point I kind of made, made the deal with the teachers to let me walk home you know I was like what four or five just yeah. walking home like my, I mean it was two blocks but still you know like yeah. no one do that today no. um, so, and I know I know people really um, miss you know having the time Time, you know the social uh, that was the socialism that you had a lot of much more time you know people will go home on time or most of the time at home there, there will be the life will be so much more easier and people will help each other but that was like helping each other a lot because there was nothing you know like that was like the stores were empty you know although bulgaria bulgaria was never the soviet union you know um, yeah, we were not right. never part of the soviet union so bulgaria never been that um severe and in my case rural bulgaria we always had this garden and my grandparents you know so it, i i should not be like here we would i was deprived it was not the case right um but yeah, but you always had this double, um, like, so I'm always like people who were probably not as so involved as my parents were in all these things, uh, probably have a little bit different memories, but I, I never, uh, never was hidden from me that side, the, the repressive side. You, you, you finish up education in, in Bulgaria and you, uh, you go to Berlin for, this uh this journalism fellowship and then you end up spending quite a bit of time in germany right yeah and so how exactly did uh was were you already really interested in history or did did that develop as you were you know in your your professional career um so i wanted to be journalist i always wanted to be journalist because also you know coming out of the uh, socialism, you know, it was so dynamic, you know, like, I think people really missed the early 90s, you know, the um, the protests, but also all the freedom, this sudden freedom that we experienced, and there was like newspapers everywhere, there was like the television was incredibly interesting, you know, to watch shows, TV shows, and you know, uh, journalist shows, so I really wanted to be journalist, but I mean, always been this, uh, I guess on the back of my mind that, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I loved being journalist. I like these adrenaline kicks, you know, when you're on a front yeah. line. I love, love that. But also, I've been also a little bit constrained and really, sometimes really unhappy how things are, it's everything is now, 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 now. And, you know, the formats, now we have the internet, so you can put so much more, you know, of stories. But most, my time was like you're so restrained by by the format you have two minutes uh you have uh, that many words that you can write and um no one cares about this background so it's always been like my interest to step back and see why is this thing and i actually tried sometimes very hard to push these things and it's not always um met by by editors but they they had their own restraints um 
Yeah. So that that's always been on the back of my mind. I said my dad was like big into reading. So he always, that was his dream to become a writer, author, and so on. So he never made it. So it's in a way he kind of was preparing me. So yeah. that was always the idea that I will, um, at some point might have to leave journalism. So it's always been history, always, uh, I mean, I'm big reader of history and uh, always been big reader of, um, of books and yeah. So you were in journalism for how long, like 20 years? Oh, I started really, <laughs> I started like 16 or something. That counts. Uh, really, uh, oh, in high school. Because, uh, and again, like my parents a little bit paying them back because I, I really, we, where I grew up is so close to Sofia, to the, you know, to the capital, mm -hmm. but like my parents did not allow me to go. And I did not do like, I don't know what they thought I'm going to do in Sofia. I actually will go to museums, will <laughs> go to watch theater, something like this. What, what you actually want your kid to go and do. I don't know what they thought I'm doing. So they, my mom was like, did not want to give me money. She was like, well, get your own money and then you can go and do these things. And I was like, ah, now I know what to do. And then I just uh, called the local newspaper and said like, well, are you looking for reporters? And then saying my last name, of course, they re recognized who am I. And my mom, my mom's company was actually their biggest uh, advertiser. Oh, so they wow. were really, there you go. <laughs> I, years later, I learned they were really in a pickle, you know. So they were like... <laughs> Okay, now Mississippi was daughter cold, and we don't know if she's any good. But if we don't hire her, what we're we gonna do? So they actually called my mom, and my mom was like, I guess impressed that you know I really took uh, took her to the task. Um, so that yeah, they gave me a job. So um, yeah, I was a kid running around thinking I'm a. a newspaper reporter and then we created our newspaper in my high school so um a lot of hot water you know because we wanted to make it like investigations and whatever like, <laughs> <laughs> gosh, like some of the teachers were really really upset <laughs> but uh my uh some of my friends now actually from that small group of people they actually now uh one is the, the 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 news director of the bulgarian national television another one is like a big um news ma magazine um uh um editor so like yeah so not bad yeah not at all so in all those years in journalism, you know, what were the most interesting things that you that you you covered? I mean, um, I did like a lot of normal journalism as reporter, um, education, whatever. Like um, uh, you have like a several resorts, you know, you work on several things. But uh, I mean, people kind of know me of that thing. There is this morning show in used to be in Bulgaria Sunday morning show called Tea, uh, not Coffee Tea. Because there was already another show that was called Coffee. So some <laughs> we had to, you know, come with something different. So I was actually one of the um uh the, the first team, you know, the creative team, the first the founding group, so to say. Um so I um so I did a lot of Sunday morning, like all kinds of <laughs> crazy things um so um funny things like um and uh i think i was like 23 or something they actually the i 
I have a little bit speech impediment. I cannot say ah, and in Bulgarian, that's a big thing. So I never actually expected to end up in television. I was, I'm just going to be print journalist or magazine. I'll write magazine because that's what I really wanted to do, to write magazine articles. And then was at the party, and uh, I guess I was like loud and my usual telling stories and um, people from the television, they were like, oh, she's perfect for camera. So that's <laughs> that's how I ended up 23 on camera. And it was just because the show took off so quickly, you know, so it was such a surprise. So like it was, um, it was a little bit shock for me, you know, you, you could not go down the street without people recognizing you and uh, kind of like a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, so I, had my moment where I could not deal with the fame that much, you know, and this imposter syndrome, because it's like, well, I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, if it's even good, but somehow it's catching fire. People somehow like it, you know, all this crazy story that I'm making. And then, and of course, I was like, I, I want to actually do some serious stories, because at some point people started like not believing that I can do serious stories, you know, uh, real journalism. I also wanted to travel, like it's, and, and maybe when you have the success so early in life, as I did, it's kind of your ambitions grow. And I was like, well, I can I can make it like on a much bigger scene, you know, like if I'm so talented, is if I'm so amazing, you know, why stay in Bulgaria, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's how I am applied for the fellowship in Germany and um, tried then as a freelancer to make it in Berlin. So you were someone that, like, in Sofia, people knew who you were if they saw you on the street. Yeah, I mean, wow, the show. Now no one yeah. knows. That's good. But, like, um, I'm actually, I had a, a boy boyfriend, and I was really in love with him and so on. And he could not deal with that because it was wherever we would go, people would stare, stare at us. And he oh, was wow. like, oh, I, I just can't, you know, this is too much. Um, you know, and and he was brilliant in his own way. So having like me, oh, yeah. it just became this competition, and it was kind of hard for him. So oh, it's too bad. Yeah, that's oh, too bad. Yeah. So how how did uh, again the the journalism? How does that inform your approach to, oh, to writing and and doing doing history? I mean, I am like I think like relentless a little bit, because this is one of the things that you learn in journalism. You you knock on every door. You know, and people will slam the door in your face and people will say nasty things to you and um, getting people to get on camera and tell, tell you things you sometimes really, really need to, you know, twist yourself to pretzel. You know, you have to really quickly become their friend so they, they, they be on camera um, come so natural and authentic. That's like people who never been on camera that you put the camera in front of them. And you want them to tell you, because we became famous, the tea, the show was famous that we will get things out of people that no one else would do. So this is how, like, in a way, me being like the thicker skin and like being able just the archives, like, um, like being and knocking and being relentless and not taking no for an answer. Because the normal grad student, history grad student, they will feel intimidated, you know, mm -hmm. if the um, archivist yells at them. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not pleasant for me either. Okay. I don't want to like, it's not pleasant to think, or if somebody say, well, we don't have anything and, uh, uh, have a good day and whatever. And also, I think because I, you know, old Moripun classes, I did not have any degree. You know, I did not have PhD. Uh, I kind of started publishing those articles without having the degree. So having this, well, I can do these things. You know, I don't have, but I, I don't have the formal training, but I know what I'm doing here. And uh, also, um. You know, when you get um, the the revisions of your text, you know, when you send article to journal and then you get like review number one, review number two, the famous re review number two. And people kind of, um, especially academics, get like really upset with that. And for me, it's like the normal process. You know, I, I have right. had article being ripped apart as a journalist yeah. and sent back. And for me because it's so much as journalists you're so so much oriented towards the the product that the product has to be good so you're kind of willing to take the pain you know and say they might have a point here let me see what they're trying to tell me here in these revisions i might not agree with all of them but if somebody wrote something commentary there is something that they did not understand in my argument so yeah. how do i rewrite that part I, I might think they're wrong about this but that means i did not communicate my point very well so mm -hmm. let me go back and uh I, I don't see it i mean it's it's never pleasant getting you know the peer reviews and so on but i kind of take it a little bit easier you know and um and i'm like as long as the the journal wants to work with me and wants to publish this thing i will work with them that's really interesting because that, that's one of the, the toughest things in our business is is, mm. is receiving criticism and, yeah. and, and dealing with it and, and, and finding the right attitude, which which you 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 obviously have the right attitude. Because ultimately, mm. if you take it the right way, you're gonna come out with a better product. Yeah. Hey, like I was in, in television and there was this very famous Bulgarian media critic who wrote really nasty things about me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I it was in the the top national newspaper, you know. So I think everybody read that part, like about me, how no one can understand the word coming out of my mouth, and no can no one knows what the heck I am. So she she was really nasty. So I'm I, if I survive that thing, I can survive. Anything. You, you you'll survive academia. T yeah. Tell me that you have that framed somewhere in your office or something. No, <laughs> oh, that'd I that'd be I actually, beautiful. No, I'm, I mean, I can find it, but I cried a lot about it. Oh, Actually, now I'm super tough, but like <laughs> I cried a lot about it. So um, there is a show on Sunday and you got to be again. So no right. matter if you cried on Tuesday, you have to work on Wednesday to start working on Wednesday to prepare the show. So Bill, do you want to do the uh, the faux break and then we'll yes, talk about yes, let's take our, Yeah, let's take our break. Then we can come back and talk about were the first person to work with previously unknown correspondence between Karl and uh, Maria von Clausewitz in the Prussian Privy State Archives. And uh, the, the name in German is so much better. Um, the, the short version is uh, Das Geheime Staatsarchiv. Um, so 
how, first of all, well, first, before I ask you this question, I got to say this, this archive for me as an American, I've spent a lot of time there as well. You walk, you, you get off the, um, the, the, the Uban, you mm. walk down this long kind of, you know, residential street. And then all of a sudden there's this massive, you know, mm. archival building. You go into the front, you, they have, they buzz you in, right? You have to tell them who yeah. you are. They buzz you in. And then the first place you go is to a security guard and they send you into a room where you put all your stuff in a locker. Um, and then you go upstairs and then you have to go over to the archivist and get your files for the day. And mm-hmm. uh, like you were saying, that I'm thinking I'm saying this because of you saying, you know, when an archivist tells you, no, you can't just. And uh, there's it's an extremely intimidating archive. They have busts of all the German Kaisers, um, you know, looking down on you from uh, from the bookshelves. Um, it's a it's a beautiful place to work, but also really intimidating place to work. So that's where this is all taking place. Um, so how did you become the first person to get access uh, to these files? And then what was it like to know that you were the first person who was going to to get a crack at, at looking at this correspondence? Um, so the whole thing with Marie von Clausewitz started when I was doing my master's and uh, John Kuhn. It's actually a little bit unclear who came first with the idea. Like either he said, like, write a book on Marie. Like it, it was a joke, you know, because um started as a joke or I said like I'm gonna write a book on Mori I don't like it's kind of it was one of these things you know exchanges and then um it became a thing you know I'm gonna write a book on Mori from Clausewitz because for those who don't know Clausewitz never published the book and Mori was one to publish the book but it's always been known that she played outsized role in his life but also she was pretty famous in her own right and it was forgotten that part so it became a thing in 2012 we were going to bulgaria uh, but like stopped in berlin because i have lived in berlin for such a long time and i have lots of friends i'm still having a lot of friends there so we stopped and i was like a day in the archives to see if there is something anything so i actually went to the prussian i had appointment with them You, you can make appointment a month prior yeah. <laughs> um, so, and also in Stabi, in the St- State Library in Berlin, the other imposing thing, um, I kind of uh, booked with them. They were like a little bit, who the heck? Because I did not have any titles, no nothing, you know, <laughs> academic titles. So when I went to the um, Prussian Privy State Archives, um, they actually... Ha- it was said it's it's um, uh, Gräfin von Brühl. You know, which is Maurice's maiden name. They they had some things, and I opened the things, and it actually was uh, Marie, her cousin's wife. It was the other Gräfin von Brühl. It was not Marie. Uh-huh. But they were like, and I was asking, like, do you have anything else? And they was like, nope, nope, nope. But if you want, um, write your email, your address. Uh, I think they were a little bit feeling bad because I was coming from the United States. And they were like, well, leave your email address, whatever. And if something comes up someday, whatever, we'll give you a call. And I was like, up, 
And I, by that point, I have told enough people that joke that I'm writing a book on Marie von Clausewitz. So I was like, man, I got to find a way to get out of this thing. Because <laughs> 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 it's, like, it's just become like all my friends, everybody knowing like, oh God, what I'm going to do now? And then that was July, no, June or July um, 2012. And December... Christmas break and I get this email from the archive from the from the director of the archive which was wow. I think the first female director and she wrote like and saying like hey are you still doing this thing on Marie von Clausewitz because this old distinguished German family came and they um brought all their family papers here and we have established a um estate Nachlass, and uh, within the papers there, it's actually uh, the full correspondence between Karl and Marie von Clausewitz, because th that family actually are descendants of Marie's brother. Karl and Marie did not have children. And it was like, do you want copies? Because you know, you're in the United States, so we can make you copies, but they actually, um, you know, it's going to be 20 cents or something per copy. And the, the letters go for pages and pages and pages. So it's going to be a big bill, you know? So, so, so you know, it's going to be a big bill. And I was like, oh, <laughs> now what are we doing? So actually, um, because it, it became clear to me that's going to take over my life. It was not, it's not going to be one off, you know, because I have to learn to read these letters. Yeah. Um, it's going to mm -hmm. like, and I was like, I do I want this thing to take over my life? But then it's like in me, you know, the researcher. Yes, 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 yes. So actually, and I, I mean, I was a freelance journalist, so I did not have much money. So actually, like that was, uh, I really feel bad for my editors back then or the people who will assign me articles back then, because I really started bombarding them with ideas. Some of the ideas not really good. Because I needed to write articles to get the money to pay for the for the copies, you know, to send me electronic copies. <laughs> so I'm like sometimes I open the archives of you know Capital newspaper where I wrote most of the things, and I look. I I don't even remember those articles. I'm like, where the heck did I read? Like I don't. I have no memory of this. Oh my god, who? Oh god, but this was this. And I really take the chance to apologize to everyone because I was really pushy, but I needed the money. <laughs> so this is, so I will get like a check from the newspaper or I'll do something for the national television. And they will send me the check and uh, I will send it to the archives and they will send me like 200 pages and things like this. So, um, and it was, um, yeah, I had to learn to to read the handwriting. And actually when I first came, I paid like a 500 bucks and I had this, the first um, batch came, I opened it and I could not read anything. And I was like, oh my God, I spent all this money and I cannot read a page out of this. Yeah. So um, I started like reading certain words. I actually, I started first, I found Marie's cousin his letters to to Marie, they were in the Saxon archive. And he was a, Karl von Brühl was a um, theater director, he was artist. And so his handwriting was really nice and smooth. So this is, I learned first to read Karl von Brühl. And then it come, came, became much easier to read Marie von Clausewitz. And now Marie von Clausewitz is so easy. Karl von Clausewitz is such a, Karl is, uh, it's just his, he he's really terrible. 
Well, hey, I want to pause for just a second to 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 talk about the enormity of what you are saying because I've I've been in the in a similar situation, not only to get access but then to have to learn to read the handwriting. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean that is is you know just a level of dedication where you get these things and there's the horror of oh my god I can't read this and so for mm -hmm. you to then just go step by step and start learning how to read this old handwriting I mean that is uh, extremely impressive. I mean, yeah, I like, again, that's from journalism. It's just, you just go like, I mean, when you do investigation in, in journalism, that's what you do. You have like, sometimes I haven't done that many investigations, but the few, and I have worked with the team, you, you just get this, usually institutions, you know, they want to bury something and they send you pages and pages and pages. And you just have to go to everyone looking like for the, needle in the haystack and uh, and there is no way you have to go through all of them there is no like you cannot make any shortcuts and so that's one of the things that you know journalism this discipline yeah people always think like journalists do all these fancy things but like much of the work is just actually the be best things i have done were like uh, just going and like having documents of some ministry of education and just sitting through pages and pages and pages. And then suddenly you're like, I know what's happening here. Yeah. So that, that's the same thing. So that's like, you get the, that these letters and you just start transcribing. The book has done well, uh, published with Oxford. Were you surprised with the reception that the book has gotten? Or did you know, you know, the fact that you're working with uh, von Clausewitz, that it was going to be something that people read? I, I, I knew it's going to get attention. I did not expect to be the attention that it got. That, you know, uh, suddenly I got like offered uh, to be visiting professor and all. I did not expect that. I did not expect the, the Moncado Award. I did not expect uh, all of this. I knew it's going to get attention. That's That was clear. It's just the timing, you know, because yeah. you can do so many more great things. And just the timing is off. And that, that's, again, I've seen it in journalism that you you probably are too ahead of time sometimes. And, um, you know, when you're too ahead of time, things don't tend to catch up. But when you just exact timing, it, it was like exact timing, you know, much more interest in women's roles and um, so yeah. just the right time. I mean, I'm happy with everything, but I did not expect it. I did not expect the the attention that I got. Well, I want to say uh, one thing too, just because uh, you know, times change, and you talked about all that money that you spent on those uh, copies, and I did the same thing in German archives as a grad student, and uh, as you probably know, now you just walk in with your camera and mm. you just take pictures <laughs> but yes, that was not uh, but that was not allowed back then so <laughs> no now now actually i uh all the documents now even the the prussian the heimstats i have even they like the chain things have changed and they actually allow you to do it yeah. on your phone but yeah before that you you will give order and it's gonna take like a month for something and that, that was like 2013 2014 like it's not like that long yeah yeah <laughs> When you got into this, how familiar with, were, were you with On War? And how did your understanding of On War change as you got into it, wrote the book, and of course, now you teach this stuff? I was interested in Klaus. It's actually 2000, uh, 2003 when I was doing my uh, fellowship at the Free University. 
And uh, that was actually the time of Iraq war, mm -hmm. you know, the preparation for Iraq war. So that's actually when I heard the name Clausewitz the first time, you know, because it was like so much debated, um, you know, what's George What's the idea? Why is George Bush, especially in European context, you know, yeah. mo mo most of the Europeans could not wrap their minds around the whole decision for war. So this is when Clausewitz like was so present in television and in news articles and so on. So uh, and then I took a class while I was in Berlin at the Freie Universität, I took a class in peace journalism. So how do you create, you know, like the media coverage can help, you know, peace negotiations and um, can, um, you know, diffuse sometimes confrontations and so on. So this is actually one of the texts that we studied in that thing was Carl von Klaus, it was on war. So that's when I actually had my first copy of on war that I bought the first copy of On War. And then when I moved to the States uh, and was going through the master's program, Clausewitz kept coming. So I was like, oh, okay, I know that thing. How it changed, it's um, it's always been, for me, I think, war is so much more than people going, like men going to war. It, it, it war is everything else, you know. When the, And that's when Clausewitz was like, uh, this idea, you know, confronted the whole society going to war. That's that's when we see Marie Thoreau, you know, in this so whole society going to war. It's, it's a change in war. Like, it's not anymore these dynastic conflicts from, from the beginning of the previous um, 18th century. I, I think before that, I did not, like, I, I knew the text. I have read parts of it, like, m many parts of it, but I, I don't know, I really penetrate the text if I, if I either... I'm translating a text or I'm really like outside Nandazets and what the Germans will say. You really struggle with the text. I need to struggle with the text to understand it, to wrestle with the text. Struggle yeah. and wrestle outside Nandazets, you know. I don't think there is a word that you can translate it in, into English. No. Uh, so, yeah, this is where, like, this reading, you know, doing the letters, doing the extra work also gave me the confidence to work with this text. And like, yeah, yeah, no, this is what's happening here. You know, you're not like, you're not thinking, you're not far off. Because sometimes people will notice things in the text, but because it might be like not the prevailing um, reading or interpretation, and they kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable being, you know, saying like, but I think that's about that. And that's actually gave me the, the confidence that I, um, you know, that I can do this text. Yeah. This is why I love this text, you know, because you find so many layers in on war because it was written through um, such a long time, you know, because we worked on this text for such a long time. So there is so many layers to that text. Because <laughs> we started the first text, you know, theoretical things, he started 1804. So that's like uh, 25 years, you know, he was yeah. like sitting on these ideas. Some of the ideas actually did not change. That's the funny part. Some of his ideas, he had them as a captain. He had them as a general, like some yeah. of the things never changed. So what are you working on now? What's what's next for you? Um, so actually, <laughs> so that's the, um, I, you know, did not have the degree. So actually I defended last summer um, at King's College, my dissertation, finally. Oh, it was that and soon. I didn't realize, I got, wow. Congratulations. Uh, but... Yeah. So, I mean, it, 
it took like three years or something to write. Um, yeah, I did not have degree, so <laughs> I was like this very strange case, you know, right. having yeah. articles, you know. Um, yeah, so finally I have the degree, okay? You got <laughs> so, your union card. You got your union card. Yeah, I got card. my union card. Yeah, yeah. So actually, um, it's in my dissertation was on Clausewitz and Scharnhorst. So Scharnhorst okay. is Clausewitz's right. mentor. It's the big towering figure of the German reform movement. And yeah. always been the question, how much did Clausewitz take from Scharnhorst? How much of these ideas were Scharnhorst's ideas? How much Clausewitz um, changed them, you know, transformed them, um, or actually disagreed with Scharnhorst? Because there is a lot of occasions where they actually do not as being like um, the, the the teacher and his favorite student, they did not always see eye to eye. It's like very narrow reading if we see them like, well, Shanghos had those ideas and just um, Shanghos, uh, Clausewitz is the one uh, who wrote them down and yeah, took the credit for that. So that, that was my dissertation. So I am um, have to turn it into a book. So uh, that's... That that's a nice problem to have to already have a book out and then be able to still turn the dissertation into, into, a, a book. into, yeah. into the next well, book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's great. Well, I mean, because it's, um, I, I just finished teaching my first term at the Naval War College. So yeah. now finally I have time to, and the first term here is like <laughs> when you're teaching the first time is it's quite the right. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm finally, I can sit down and work, um, you know, and tra uh, transfer it um, into into more like readable text because it's very academic text right now, um, and turn it much more into a into a book. You know, for um, for the audience, and also in the dissertation, I kept away you know the personal details because you want to just yeah yeah you know the focus on theory. Uh, you have only like. 100,000 words, so you cannot pack everything. So like for a book, you can put all the color because it was also very interesting on personal level. Um, yeah. So wow. there will be like some surprises <laughs> there. But because also I found like new Pauzovitian texts and so on, but I will leave it there. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to don't want to give away too much. Uh, someone sent uh, Bill and, and myself a text last night telling us that apparently on podcast now, people are using them to steal research. So if you talk about your new projects, people can can use that and steal your stuff. So so don't say anything else. Uh, <laughs> but it would be actually like if someone also wants to go in the archive and do this work, there is plenty that's, of work for all of yeah, us. That's how I feel. Yeah. yeah that's, right. I wasn't please, working. please. If you speak good German and you can do with these things, give me a call. I, I have some ideas I cannot yeah. do my own. I can keep you busy. <laughs> yeah yeah well Vani, this has been a delight uh we're gonna we're gonna move into our our uh, rapid fire questions so mm -hmm. uh we ask you a, a series of questions and and see what you respond with uh please know that since this is our show uh, we mm -hmm. reserve the right to to judge and comment on on your answers okay so okay. just be prepared for that all right brian go all right bulgarian dish that we should try well moussaka which by the way, that's like the 
everybody on the Balkans will tell you that they have Musakais, uh, the Greek will tell you Musakai is Greek, the Turks will tell you Musakai is, uh, is Turkish, Turkish yeah. the will tell you, Bulgarians also will tell you Musaka, our Musaka is the best. All of them differ, uh, just a little bit different to each other, from each other. So you should try all of them and understand the Balkans better. But okay. yeah. I, all right. You just surprised me. I did not know that yeah. there was a uh, Bulgarian Musaka. All right. Good deal. Okay, now this is uh, related to your time in Germany and London, Bundesliga or Premier League? I don't care about soccer. Oh, no, you were, come on, you were a journalist. Yeah, I know, I can watch soccer, I don't mind, but I don't care that much. Uh, And, okay, like, probably some of my family members were listening. My nephew is a really good soccer player with a future. Komi, I love you to death. Um, And when you have your games, I'll be cheering no matter which team buys you, you know, European team. I'll be (laughs) over there. I'll be, I, like... So we'll say know. we will say that your football allegiance is yet to be determined. Yeah, whatever my nephew goes, yeah, that's whatever what your nephew does. does. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like she's football tolerant at this. Yeah. Point. yeah. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Okay, this is our question. We ask every, one of the questions we ask everyone. You get to listen to only one band or singer for the rest of your life. Who is it? Wow, I'm I'm Bulgarian, so my and they are friends of mine. Is the only Bulgarian band that kind of made it in the West. So, and they're very dear friends of mine. Yeah. Ostava. So people go find Ostava. They're amazing. All right. You got to spell that for us so we can make sure we, yeah, we put it in there. O-S-T-A-V-A. So Ostava. Okay. okay. All right. Ostava. Got it. Got right. it. Got it. Very interesting. We'll check it out. I was on a tour bus with them in Germany, but I will leave it there. That, <laughs> that legendary tour. Okay. I was the there. Le- okay, I know it all. That's the book I want to read. Yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the book you I and a couple of other Bulgarian journalists, <laughs> but I am not sharing. All right. So what, what are you bench watching? Uh, I just finished uh, The Rest of Us last night, like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I am like, I, I watch a lot. Um, and um, uh, The Empress, you know, I mean, if you speak German, it's The Empress, but on PBS, not The Other Empress. It's about Maria Theresia on PBS. Wow. So the PBS, watch one. okay. Uh, on, on PBS, I just discovered it. I think you have to have the PBS pass. And if you don't have PBS pass get it because it's nice to support public media yeah uh, and if you have that uh, you can watch it's actually really nice i mean it's a little bit kind of here and there like they want to create a little bit more dramatic history Drama, yeah. so it's kind of nice also <laughs> oh that's i'm sometimes really annoying because I, I constantly comment on shows especially historic ones or google things uh about it so th- it's also would be nice like just peer reviewing the the show but uh we don't see maria theresia for me is such an interesting character Mm -hmm. and i'm glad somebody actually made a show for her because her life is just whoa okay what are you reading for pleasure uh when i'm reading i i listen a lot of books i (laughs) i lately really don't have like the last couple of years that's really bad but i don't have much time reading like physical copies of reading oh, yeah. so i actually do audiobooks a lot okay. um i i used to live in italy for several years 
So whatever is Italian history, I cannot, especially Renaissance history, whatever comes, even like a historical fiction, which sometimes drives me nuts, but I just can cannot help myself. Also, also books about the former Soviet Union or like Eastern Bloc and so on, because, you know, I have to work to my own issues. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah the, the reckoning with our childhood. Yeah. Okay. Sense. Well, then, uh, the best the best history book that you have read recently. Uh, I really liked Kutuzov, which is Alex Mikaberidze. Mm-hmm. And, and Bulgarian history was also featured there. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, we got to get we got to get out we got to get him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah he's 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 another interesting character you know like yeah former eastern block you know right. like napoleon right. warfare napoleon, you know? yeah. yeah how yeah. that happens you know what's the deal there uh yeah um so i've stolen a question from bill here i've, t- I've given myself more today um your favorite section of berlin uh stadtbezirk uh Prenzlauer Berg. I uh-huh. used to live in Prenzlauer Berg. I'm Prenzlauer Berger in yeah, uh, okay. that's the uh, eastern part of Berlin. Kind of used to be now it's very kind of gentrified and yeah. fancy and whatever, but used to be right after the changes, you know, 89, like was kind of because it was a working class neighborhood, so it was um completely I mean, dilapidated, not in the best state. And then yeah. many, um, you know, young people, artists and so on moved there. So actually 20, uh, 2002, the first time when I was, I mean, it was not the first time I was in Berlin, but like the first time when I actually lived in Berlin for the first time for a month, I lived over there. And it was like this very bohemian way yeah. of life. Like I fell in love with all of that. <laughs> I, I I'm with you. I love it. Maybe one day I'll meet you for brunch at uh, Anna Bluma. Kolvitz yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know the Russian restaurant at the Kolvitz Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. Childhood nickname? Did you have? Did you have a childhood nickname? Um, it's not what everybody assumes that it is because it's Vanya. It's Vanche, little Vanya. This is actually when you know that people actually don't know me that well <laughs> when they. <laughs> call me that and i was like no one who actually knows me calls me that <laughs> um yeah it's vanya or venusian vani venus you know like all this kind of variations of vanya but not vanche not the little vanya so so in enduring variations of vanya mm, yeah yeah okay all right so what what you, you travel a lot so what's your what's your next next trip what's your next travel destination well, we are going to um, San Diego. I've never been to California, so oh. I'm looking forward. Sorry, look to forward to San Diego for the SMH. Okay. Yeah. Anything, anything else on the horizon? I really wanted to go to Portugal. I've never been to Portugal and um, heard really um, amazing things. Um, so, and um, I mean, I want to go back to Italy because of the pandemic and the dissertation, whatever. I did not travel much. Yeah. And I kind of, feel the need to be back in Italy. I, I miss Italy. That's kind of, I miss little living in Italy, you know, um, I want to go back to Italy and do a little bit more like, yeah. I think okay. the uh, Society for Historians of War, which I went to their conference in Amsterdam mm-hmm. last November, this November, they're meeting in Lisbon. Okay. So keep that, keep that in mind. I might have, have to, to, to jump on yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I have a question not on here. You've talked about obviously, you know, Bulgarian, German, English, I assume Italian as well, languages you speak. Really bad Italian now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Still, still impressive. Okay. So uh, I, I mentioned that Newport is one of my favorite cities. So I have a question. You may may know these places or you may not. So if you don't know them, you can just say, I don't know those places. Brick Alley Pub or the Red Parrot? Uh, I know the Red Parrot. Okay. Brick Alley haven't been. Okay. We'll go with that then. Red Parrot. That's, that's the better of the two places. Um, those are those are both kind of on the main strip in Newport. Um, and and I, I agree. I like Bercino. Okay. It's Italian. Yeah. But I like Bercino. Okay. That's, that is a, a good one. Okay. Final question. Always the final question. Um, partner yeah. is American. So you are, uh, you know, you're steeped in American culture in the kitchen. From South Carolina, being from South Carolina, I prefer pork barbecue. Bill, as a Texan, uh, prefers brisket, the beef. So uh, for you, do you prefer brisket or pork? I'm Bulgarian, so I should have answered pork. But actually, I really got fell in love with brisket. I think I had six now. Yeah, you. I, okay. uh, I really, really like brisket. Like I did not. Yeah. I actually. Had it only like a year ago or something, and I really like, uh, yeah. Okay, is there any place around you in Newport that does barbecue? No, no, not at all. Okay, well, hey, uh, I, I really, uh, I haven't read the, uh, the, the, the book yet, and I am gonna order a copy of it um, very soon. I look forward to reading it. Um, my advisor from uh, grad school, a guy named Alan Byerson does a lot with Clausewitz. And he asked me recently if I knew you. Um, and at the time I said, no, I, I haven't met her. So I'll shoot him an email today and say, uh, hey, I do know her now. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm a nice have... person. <laughs> I don't always answer my emails on time, but otherwise <laughs> I really wish because sometimes I just run out of time and uh, yeah. All right. Well, Vanya, this has been great. Thanks for taking the time. And we look forward to seeing you in, in San Diego in, in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thanks, Vanya. Same. My pleasure. folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Military Historians or People Too. Brian heads up the research department and our social media division, and Bill heads up production, editing, and Muzak. We're not monetized, and we depend upon you, dear listener, to help us spread the word about this podcast. So tell your friends, share on social media, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and wherever the heck you get your podcast. If you need an idea for your class, make them listen to military historians of people too. Give them some extra credit. Thanks for listening.